Welcome everybody to Hacker Valley Blue, where we get the industry's best and brightest cyber defenders to share their experiences and tips on how you can better defend your assets and networks. This season, I'm gathering some of the very best blue teamers across the field to form my all-star team of defenders who will use their talents against some of the biggest cyber threats that we face today. Join me as I meet with my team, learn about their origins, what drives them, and the pivotal role they play in the world of cyber defense. So without further ado, let's get to it. When it comes to IT and security, we can agree on two things. Complexity is increasing and manual asset inventory approaches no longer cut it. It's time to adapt. And that's where Exonius comes in. Exonius correlates asset data from existing cybersecurity and SaaS solutions to provide an always up-to-date inventory, uncover gaps, and automate action, giving you the confidence to control complexity. Sign up for a free walkthrough of the platform at exonius.com slash get a tour. That's A-X-O-N-I-U-S dot com slash get dash a dash tour. And welcome, everybody, to another episode of Hacker Valley Blue. I am your host, Davin Jackson. Thank you for joining. If you guys aren't familiar yet, uh, Hacker Valley, Chris and Ron have entrusted Hacker Valley Blue Season 3 to me to build up my team of what I call the Defenders. So what I've been doing all season is trying to get the best and brightest people all over cyber defense to build this team of uh, all-stars to help defend against all the attacks that's been going on and get their origin story, get you know what makes them tick, and... <clears throat> show what you know what they do on the blue team side of things so i've had uh innovators i've had uh people who are specialists i've had uh guests who are savvy veterans in the field but we need to worry about the threats and sometimes you need to actually go to where the threat is before you even know what it is uh i i liken that to uh one of my favorite comic book heroes uh wolverine when he had to go to uh madripoor and disguise himself as patch to figure out what was going on with the crime and the threats in, in that in that area so when i had to find my hunters first two people that came to mind were uh jonathan stoner and andy piazza and i'm gonna have them speak to you and introduce themselves shortly uh, but again, this is going to be uh, my episode of Threat Hunting, and I hope you guys enjoy it. So without further ado, let me welcome my guests, Jonathan and Andy. Good morning. Hey, everybody. Happy to be here. Thanks for having us. No, thank you for joining. Thank you for, for agreeing to do this. Um, like I said, uh, building out my team, had to get some some hunters on here, and I've seen the two of you uh, put up a lot of stuff online and things that you've done in the past with with threat hunting. So go ahead and introduce yourselves. Uh, Andy, you start first, and then we'll go into what you guys do. Yeah. Uh, like you said, Andy Piazza, I'm the chief evangelist for the little company here in Northern Virginia called FIA. My day job is normally a threat analyst. I recently had took over a role as an incident response lead. But as, you know, as a threat analyst, I've been doing CTI for a little too long now. Um, I had a lot of uh, overlap with uh, working with incident response and doing threat hunting. I've worked in really large enterprises. I say really large. One of them I supported was over a million connected devices. Been exposed to a lot of fun, uh, a lot of cool missions. Um, we'll hopefully get get into some of the things we've we found uh, anonymously, right? Not talking about specific clients, but it's been a, been a really cool journey. Get to um, work with a lot of great folks, right? I've met John Stoner quite a few times. Uh, there's a you know high population of threat analysts and threat hunters here in Northern Virginia area. Uh, get to meet them through. Uh, we also uh, have a big role in uh, B sides Nova, so get to inter interchange with uh, ideas with those folks at different conferences. So yeah, uh, I've been doing it for, I think about 10 plus years, but originally I uh, was thinking about being a cop like 20 years ago, joined the army to be a bomb disposal guy, failed out of that school and the army made me an MP and uh, you know, haven't looked back. It's, it's been an interesting journey. Um, that's a whole origin story uh, hour discussion, how I got into cyber in the first place. But yeah, I think the, the thing for me has been, it's really cool in the cyber threat world where we're, we're getting to, research different things every day. So um, that's kind of how I got into it and what got me inspired. But 
John, how about you? Go ahead and introduce yourself. Sure. I'm an Army veteran, uh, similar to Andy. Uh, I was in signals intelligence, um, so most of my career has been spent in or adjacent to the U.S. intelligence community or in the Department of Defense. Uh, I've been doing a variety of cyber security roles since 2010 when I transitioned out of the Army. Um, I was an instructor. That was how I first sort of like broke into cyber and made the transition. It's, it's one reason I have so many certificates because I was teaching a lot of those sorts of courses. Um, and, and I did some cyber counterintelligence and, and then threat intelligence. And I've done some other roles. I, I'm back at Booz Allen now uh, supporting multiple clients as a DOD contractor uh, around RMF and policy and general cyber security strategies. Uh, CTI is still my true love. Uh, I really like the mission around threat intelligence and, and that aspect of, of defense. This conversation comes up a lot at, at B-Sides Nova. Um, and I'm, I actually am pretty involved in the community. Uh, I think that's something else. We don't have to talk about it today, but uh, it's an interesting part because a lot of us in sort of like the DoD contracting space aren't in and, or don't participate in the rest of the InfoSec community. Um, it's very siloed in some cases. And, and I'd like to see that um, interchange of ideas uh, continue to occur more regularly so we can have that back and forth because so much of what we rely on is is no longer right, in classified realms. It, it's open source endpoint data. Um, and, and like I think I get so much data from like Twitter and Slacks and Discords that I'm in. So Andy, going back to you, how did you find your way to cyber? Yeah, so I got out and uh, got in the army in like 2010, I was, 2011. I was um, military police, but thankfully my last four years was um, at the army intel headquarters. I was in charge of what they call force protection, a, a platoon of MPs guarding the intel headquarters. So I had a security clearance, got out and was doing physical security, um, personnel security, right? So guard, uh, building uh, locks and security clearances, that kind of stuff. And I uh, got an opportunity to start with my company as a security manager. Uh, at the time, I was supporting the Secretary of Defense Communications Office. So those are the guys that travel all around the world with the SecDef and provide his network. So I was always, uh, the first two years I was out, I was on IT contracts as like the only traditional side of security. I was in the same contracts as the InfoSec folks. So I was hearing everything they were talking about, trying to figure out what, what it was. And I had a bunch of GI Bill left. Um, I'd finished a master's in intelligence studies. So I'd... Um, did an undergraduate certificate in IT security to so I could kind of fit in with the teams I was going to lunch with every day because I had no idea what they were talking about. And uh, my CEO at the time, uh, I was still like, Trong hands me a malware analyst cookbook, which I'm pretty sure is still on my shelf like 10 years later. Sorry, Trong. Um, but, you know, he hands it to me and he's like, hey, man, if this seems interesting, uh, let me know. You know, we can get you some more resources and see if you can switch over into cyber. So just started digging into that. I was helping doing some threat briefings for, for the travel team, um, for our folks that were traveling with the boss about IT risk and, and cybersecurity risk. Uh, so I, you know, between that and with the master's in Intel and the interest in intelligence, it seemed like a good transition. Um, so I took the opportunity, actually moved over to US CERT. Uh, and then what became NCIC and CISA, I was working as a cyber threat analyst early in my career on an information sharing program uh, with the private sector. They've got like 200 private sector companies sharing with them uh, in a little program called CISP, um, Cyber Information Sharing and Collaboration Program. So I was there for a couple of years uh, sharing threat intel. Um, it was still not very technical. It was more, um, you know, kind of being the middleman. People would pass this information. We would anonymize it, enrich it, and push it back out to the other communities um, across the critical infrastructure sector. So uh, it was like, man, this stuff's really interesting, but I wasn't getting hands-on. I was talking to the hands-on teams. Um, and again, I still had a, a bunch of GI Bill left. So I ended up doing, uh, started the master's program for SANS, which uh, here I just finished back in November. Um, which was huge. Um, yeah, thanks, man. It was, Congratulations, it was like three and, a, three and a half years of fun. It was real cool, though, because, you know, it, it got me the chance to really get hands on and stuff. And after like my second or third course, um, I was like, OK, I, I'm, I'm enjoying the threat intel thing, but I need to I need to get into an enterprise and, and really apply it. Right. Um, CIS has got a really great mission. They've got some super technical folks, uh, but just the threat team I was on was all about information sharing. And so it was like, I got to go see where this this really works. So I went over to another large government client. Like I said, uh, about a million connected devices. You know, the, the corporate side of the network was 200,000 uh, machines. When we, we would query the EDR, we were hitting like 200,000 machines. Got in there and they're like, hey, you know, you're a threat analyst, you're a threat hunter, go find badness. And I was like, oh man, this is going to be great. Start pulling up blogs, start reading about threat hunting because, you know, I've been interested in it, went to apply it and they're like, you know, do this query and you should see some anomalies. And I was like, cool. 
and we would have 10,000 of those because the network was just so large, right? So when you're in that size of an enterprise, that whole no normal find evil thing is really, really hard. And so, yeah, that, uh, that, that was really my first experience. I uh, spent about three or four years there. Um, it was really, really uh, interesting. It was a lot of fun. It was very challenging. There was a lot of swearing involved on days where, you know, I had a really good hypothesis. And like I said, I get 10,000 results where like the worst thing in, in hunting is if you get zero results, because then you don't know, did you not find anything or did your query suck? Right. So yeah, it was, it was a really good experience. Uh, spent some time after that uh, at a much smaller organization with only a couple thousand hosts and was able to practice some things. Um, some of the hunting techniques, some, you know, anomaly based kind of hunting that you couldn't really do in a, in a much larger organization. You could actually start kind of paying attention to um, user groups, right? When, when you're in a very large enterprise, it's really hard to say this group of systems, this is what normal traffic looks like. And that's really where you have to get to, to be a good hunter. Um, in a smaller network, it's a, it's a bit easier, a bit more approachable. Uh, you start recognizing IP system, you know, IPs and host names and, and um, parts of the network in a smaller network. But yeah, so that's that's really how I got into hunting. Um, the other thing was I did as a threat threat guy. I got to work with the red team a lot. One of my favorite roles uh, there on that larger team was anytime the red team would do like an actual full red team engagement. Uh, my job was to do the post mortem, and so I would go interview the red team, find out all the cool things that they did, right? And they would you know give me all their artifacts and and tell me their timeline. I would go interview the blue team and ask them what they found and what they did and review their tickets. But then I'll go back into the systems and hunt for the things that the blue team either missed and detections may have caught, but an analyst may not have saw or just, you know, marked it as a false positive or um, didn't, you know, didn't see it at all. Uh, but then I would also hunt for artifacts that the red team left behind that our systems didn't necessarily detect. And so I'd usually get to spend a couple of weeks doing that. Um, and that actually really helped me hunt because I knew, because I got to interview the bad guy kind of a thing, right? I actually got to know what artifacts should have been there. Um, and, and they, even after they told us that they cleaned up some of their tools, uh, that was a really good experience. Um, you know, super early kind of version of purple teaming, um, because it wasn't like we were, I was monitoring them while they were doing it, but it was more like postmortem, but that that's really what kind of taught me how to hunt and look for, um, you know, artifacts that have been cleaned up some evidence of, you know, with, you know, kind of tooling as people call it. Uh, that was probably the, the most rewarding experience and probably the, most educational experience was being able to work with both red and blue and be able to hunt kind of in the middle. Nice. So, I mean, yeah, I, I see where you, why you said it was going to be a long story, but, but it, but it worked, right. It shows, it, it shows the growth and and everything that you've done. And it's, it's a really cool experience, I guess, to, to actually see that and then be able to talk to, to the red teamers and then get that understanding that's a big part of cyber threat intel is we have to be able to talk to a lot of different teams, right? You have to get, you know, you talk to some of the network engineers or security engineers and they get super technical. And then you've got to be able to boil that down and go make it into a bullet point for an executive, right? There's an educational role here as well, because I think we've worked with lots of clients who think that they want threat intelligence or, or they've heard the term, but they don't have the maturity to actually perform or use information from a threat intelligence team. Um, so I saw this across engagements with the defense industrial base, with DOD, private companies that contract with the U.S. government, um, is that many of them really don't have the maturity in place to make full use of threat intelligence, and, and they're not ready to do threat hunting on the network, right? They haven't performed all the basics, right? Like they may have box checked some NIST standards, um, but you're not in a position to, to make use of threat intel, uh, and this is something we talk about all the time. This whole podcast could be about like what percentage of like Fortune 500 companies can actually do threat intel or hunting or or red teaming beyond just like what's required for regulatory purposes, um, it, right? Because we all then talk in our little threat intel bubbles about how like important and cool this is, and we're like people who own Ferraris in Annapolis. Like, okay, well the twelve of you are awesome, but everybody else just needs like a car. Um, so it's really interesting that aspect of, of all of this as well is that sometimes you get lost in like your little echo chamber, you know, in whatever specialty you have in cybersecurity, whether it's like, you know, reverse malware analysis and it was like reverse malware analysis, you haven't implemented multi-factor authentication yet, right? There's like <laughs> maturity things to do before you worry about like, should we have a purple team? You should have a sock that like has a, a 
like tooling to enable them to do their job first before you hire a purple team. There's there's levels to this, definitely. Now, what about you? So you you started in the army, you did uh, signals intelligence and stuff like that. Now, did you know from that point that, that that's where you wanted to be and that's where it, where it was going to go? No, it, it's been a it's been an interesting journey for myself. So I really started to go down the cybersecurity route the first time I was at Booz Allen Hamilton. They had cybersecurity boot camps in place at the time, and that we still have a lot of of educational material uh, like that if people want to change mid-career. So that was the first time I was exposed to certified ethical hacker, certified hacking forensics investigator classes. Um, and I, I think at that point, I knew I could do something in cybersecurity and try to match it up with other skills I had as an intelligence analyst, you know, getting out of the army. But it took a long time to find my niche. Like I, I was a cyber instructor for a number of years and I actually like I really enjoy being on platform, but there's also some some salary ceilings in that field because there's a lot of really low cost vendors in the training space. I, I it's just how it is, and I wanted to do something that was a little bit more meaningful. So all of those factors pushed me to to end up in cyber counterintelligence, which I really enjoyed, and that's very different, right? That's cybersecurity analysis of advanced adversaries to further operations and missions in a counterintelligence space, right? So it's very niche, uh, mostly within DOD and, and the intelligence community. And I really like that kind of work. And then that kind of was a transition into threat intel uh, at a federal cyber center. Um, and I really enjoyed the work we were doing there. And it's interesting because I, I'm the first person to tell you I am I'm less technical. Andy's much more technical than I am. And what I actually love is leading the technical team. I have found that there's a gap in leadership project program management around actually trying to deliver meaningful career advice to the people on your team uh, and and actually guide them, provide technical mentorship, career mentorship, while ensuring we're meeting the deliverables, the, the client, whatever their priority intelligence requests are, whatever the mission requires. And that is can be very busy and very demanding. And there's a lot of stakeholder coordination, a lot of executive level coordination, right? All the way up to like down to the individual analysts, like all the way up to, to senior executive level personnel. And I really like that sort of, uh, of, of leadership position that is a lot technical still and hands on to some degree. I could still write products, QC products. Uh, make sure we're we're doing the right thing. Ask smart questions to see if the analysts, you know, followed standard analytic practices to to reach their conclusions. Um, and so, threat intel is my space. I love to work in, but I've realized there's a gap for technical leadership because a lot of really hands-on people don't want the leadership role. So we we need we need fully capable, confident people who want to be in leadership roles who still understand technically what's going on. So if I could design my own role, it's leading a team of of cyber threat intel people. Uh, that's that's my ideal space to be in. Nice. Was so I I have a a question about uh, some of the differences that you talked about between you know traditional threat hunting, CTI, and counterintelligence. But before we get to that, um, I do have a follow up question to what you're saying, and and Andy, you can jump in here too. Um, I've heard you mention a couple times training, mentorship. Um, building people up. And on the offensive side, this is something that I think I've been yelling from the rooftops and the mountaintops for years now about building up a program in-house that could help train, uh, you know, our future pen testers or red teamers. Um, too many times these companies want someone who has, you know, CEH, OSCP, you know, uh, PNPT, you know, uh, from from uh, Cyber Mentor, uh, to, to name a few, but um, they want people to just come in. And one of the things that I that I cringe every time I hear hear someone say it, like a job recruiter or HR person, is we need someone who can come in and hit the ground running. Day day one, hit the ground running. Yeah, every time I hear that, it 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 infuriates me like a little bit inside and, and wait. Well, first off, your accounts aren't going to be ready for three weeks, but go <laughs> ahead and hit the ground. Running. Yeah. <laughs> it, may, it makes me want to say a bunch of words that I'm proud. I'm pretty sure Ron and Chris will get mad at if I say on here, but um, <laughs> I, I've been saying this for a while that 
we need to come up with a program where we can build our people up. And I think it would serve so many problems. It would, it would help resolve so many problems. One, it would it would build more qualified people. And then two, I also think that would also build a lot of job retention. What are your thoughts on the importance of having these things in place, especially on the blue teaming side? Probably my last four clients, I think, you know, I've started an in-house training program for our teams almost, almost right away uh, at each of the teams. I try to give it a couple of months, right? Figure out what's left and right for me. And then I almost always immediately set up two hours a week. But one of the things I like to do, my kind of format is I break it down where the, the first section is academic and we talk about the theories behind things, right? So for, you know, I, I literally will get down to base level um, and, and explain, you know, what hashes are and what the hash algorithms are, not the mathematical and getting super nerdy with it, um, but like explain the different hashes and, you know, how old they are, right? Because that's one of the funny things like, oh, people are like, you got to go with the newer one. I'm like, the newer one's still 20 years old. I don't think you're paying attention, right? Um, but I'll go over the academic part first, right? And explain, you know, who is information and passive DNS information, you know, and I, I try to take everything to the physical world. You know, I'm a simple army grunt. So, you know, I'll explain that like, you know, one is your phone book. The other one, you know, your old yellow pages phone book that used to show up at your front door. The other one's like your call history, right? And try to break that down. And then I would go into how we apply it and what what processes we use to, you know, look up virus total, you know, hashes and look up who is information or uh, passive DNS information, and then show it actually going into the Intel products that we write and, you know, which tidbits are valuable. And we have an open discussion about, oh, hey, have you used, you know, this tool or this tool I find gives me different results or better results. And then the second hour is usually more of an open analytical discussion. Um, I like to ask questions like, hey, if someone asked you how many domains did we look up last week, would you even know how to pull that up, right? Or how many products did we publish? Or what is our error rate in our products? Like, I'll start to ask analytical questions about the processes that we do to see if they're really thinking through the process or just kind of following a checklist. Um, and it's funny because, you know, you do talk about, you know, companies hire people, they, they expect them ready to go. It's even worse in government contracting, right? Because they really, the clients really expect us, you know, we'll very rarely ever get to hire a junior person. Uh, they, you know, junior is, is the classic Twitter complaint of five years because, there is no opportunity to teach somebody, you know, day one type of stuff. One of the big things with Intel, right, is John kind of alluded to, we have a lot of folks that come from different parts of intelligence. And a lot of them are what I would consider all source in parentheses cyber, because they could take their skill set and go apply it to counter narcotics or counter terrorism, right? They're really good analysts, really good researchers. They're really good at taking a bunch of data and, and boiling it down for executives, but they may not necessarily understand what the heck they're talking about, the, the cyber, you know, the true infosec, the, the technical side of it, uh, and not to take away from their skill set, but that is a whole completely different discipline, in my opinion, than like true CTI, being able to get into the into the data, hunt for the data, do threat research, right, and go find new, you know, actor infrastructure, that kind of thing. So we have to baseline. I don't care if I've got a senior all-source analyst and a senior, you know, some CTI teams, they'll have malware folks or dark web analysts, like we have to baseline our terminology. There's so much that you hit on that I, that I want to talk about. Uh, the first one I want to talk about because it doesn't get discussed enough is personnel and organizations aren't given the time to do the training that's necessary anywhere. Mm -hmm. Andy, you alluded to it a little bit, how busy everyone is and how busy everyone is expected to be by the norm hinders professional development. So I want to like throw that firework out right now because in most cybersecurity disciplines you have to have professional development and growth and a lot of folks coming into this field have some intelligence analysis background either from school or from the military and for that aspect right they have to understand the technical things like that ip address isn't like yeah we can block ip addresses all day long like do you think that that really matters like let's bring up bianco's pyramid of pain explain to me what cost you're imposing by blocking an apt 28 like ip address that was from an exit node anyway like that none of that technically is actually helping you defend the network but a person with a sigint or all source background who doesn't understand it networking doesn't understand that that's not an effective defensive measure in the first place right and and it's the only place I've seen that teaches CTI is either the, the mini course you put together, Andy, or SANS 4578, right? And most people can't afford a SANS course, especially if they're trying to break into this field, right? Because they probably 
don't work for a large enough company to cover that tuition. But there there are lots of other resources like in VetSec, and, and we may talk about this, where we're getting some more mentoring around CTI, and there, there are starting to see some avenues of open source. Uh, and a lot of this just isn't codified. Like there's plenty of places you can go and, and talk about, like anybody can read ICD-203, intelligence community, like analytic standards. But I don't think most people who are outside of the intelligence community understand that that resource is there or uh, the psychology of intelligence analysts. There was just a thread on Twitter today on this. So there are resources for both like the analytic background, you know, how to use the diamond model. What does that even mean? There's a lot of like really great videos. One of them's like using a Star Wars analogy to make it make sense to people. But we have to have a training plan. And, and I think, Andy, you brought a good point. Like, ideally, you have individual training plans, but that takes time, right? If I have two new junior analysts on the team and one came from working in a sock at like a company and knows IT, he needs to know all the intelligence stuff. If I have somebody getting out of the Navy, you know, who was an all source analyst, right? That's a different training. It's definitely interesting. And there hasn't been outside of SANS 4578 really good courses I've come across to teach both aspects that are necessary to be successful. Or the other part is if you're doing, you know, individual training and you're doing something on plural side or cyber mentors courses, you're sharpening your axe. So yeah, you might be stopping for an hour or two a week, but you're going to be so much faster at that task the rest of the year. You're going to make up that time really quickly just by being a better analyst and being faster at it. I'm a big advocate of, of trying to bring training in and incentivizing your, your staff, incentivizing your team to do it even doing it during work hours. Um, I think that's a big incentive right there because a lot of people, a lot of companies and, and rightfully so to a certain extent, expect you to do a lot of your learning and stuff after hours. But, you know, a lot of us have families, multiple jobs, do other things. So it's really hard to get that training in or to get a couple hours in on these sites. Cause you, you have a lot of people who are treading water. And I'm speaking from experience. There have been a lot of times where I've been on teams and I'm just like, I'm just maintaining, hoping no one notices that, you know, I'm like the weakest link right here. And I just need to hold on long enough for me to learn this stuff on the side. But that leads to a lot of burnout. And and then, and then that also leads to less job retention when people feel like they just don't have it in them anymore. It, it's the quote, right? It's it's the quote that comes up in a meme form all the time. Well, what happens if we train people and they leave? Well, what happens if we don't train them and they stay? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And I will say for the managers involved that are listening, trust your people to be able to share in closed channels. There are plenty of Slack channels of threat analysts um, where you know we could save ourselves a lot of time and money by asking questions in there. But we have to have the trust of management to, that we can ask, you know, about stuff we're seeing. And that, that's the real challenge, right? Our sponsor for this season, Upticks. So Upticks, if you aren't familiar with Upticks, Upticks provides the first unified cloud-native security analytics platform that enables both endpoint and cloud security from a common solution to enable security professionals to quickly prioritize, investigate, and respond to potential threats across a company's entire attack surface. By unifying visibility in a single tool, Security operations analysts can focus on one tool set and interface to improve productivity and efficiency. So I, I hear you earlier, both of you talking about, you know, finding the different information and getting the getting that data and that intelligence. Uh, would something like, like an uptakes help you with being able to parse that information out and determine what, you know, what threats to to go after? Yeah, definitely. What I, you know, what I'm seeing in my enterprises that I support is um, IT is moving to the cloud a lot faster than the SOC is, and, and getting the SOC the visibility, right? Even if it's in the dev, you know, they're like, oh, we're just doing development stuff. Those are still accounts and stuff that need to be monitored. There's still probably some data in there that we care about, um, and so getting that cloud visibility is absolutely huge for for this uh, for SOCs for defenders, right? Um, even for red teams, right? Understanding what's out there. Yeah, and, and and tools that are bringing all the data together for the analysts to make it easier is critical. You can't, you cannot automate threat intelligence, but we need automation and and tools to make the job easier, faster to correlate the data, to see the data, to do the to do whatever analysis is taking place. You know, maybe it's your SOC doing some of that. Right, a lot of socks do some quasi CTI things because you don't have a dedicated team. But tools that bring all of that information together to make it 
to make the analyst job easier is going to be critical, right? Especially as we get more, more and more and more data and, and right, whether it's dev or from the cloud, we need all of that in one place as much as possible. Absolutely. And um, thank you to, uh, again, thank you to Uptix. For more information, go check them out on Uptix.com. That's U-P-T-Y-C-S.com. What are some other misconceptions that that you have heard that, you know, frustrate you that you wish uh, the public or even your own community knew about uh, CTI and threat intelligence? Um, I will say uh, first thing is, uh, you know, that we're tracking it all. Uh, I remember being a grunt and on the ground in, in the army in uh, uh, 2004. I went to Iraq. I was on the west side of Baghdad and my, my friends and family would be like, what do you think about what's going on in Afghanistan? It's a big world. I have no idea, right? So uh, I get questions all the time on the cyber side. You know, what do you think about that you know, Chinese activity? Or what do you think the Iranians are doing? Um, unfortunately, on, as a defender, I have to try to keep up with all of that, right? I'm not a Russian analyst or a Chinese analyst that just gets to focus on that. Um, so I do have to read up on it quickly and give them an answer. Um, but it's it's just so damn impossible. I mean, you know, we, we struggle to keep keep our eyes on the big four, you know, what we call RIC, Russia, Iran, China, North Korea. There's so many you know, different actors in the cyber criminal space. Uh, just the ability, to, the, the assumption that we're tracking at all. Uh, I have literally had folks come over, show me a hash and a printed email and go, are you tracking this hash? Like, there's just this misconception that we're tracking things uh, in general. That's That happens to be a funnier one, right? Um, but just the ability to keep up with it all um, that's a huge misconception. Uh, you know, it doesn't matter the, the threat intelligence platform you have. Uh, it doesn't matter if the organization has the data. Um, it's, it is impossible for the largest teams in the world to be able to read everything that's going on and have situational awareness on, on it all. That, I think that's a big misconception that's killing people. It, it hurts analysts and, and kills us in the, you know, the sense of imposter syndrome that we have to keep up with it all, whether that's, you know, for different countries or the technical stuff, right? You might be a really good malware analyst and know nothing about networking or be really good at hunting, you know, on, on network infrastructure, you know, or do uh, writing detections and be really bad on the host. Um, so I think it's just that misconception that we can keep up with it all. Yeah, I think I think you you hit on that in the information over overload. Um, I think one of the other misconceptions is that people in this field are all from like the Intel community. Like that's not true at all. Right. There's plenty of vendor and, and commercial teams who need CTI skills, whether that's like an additional duty or whether it's like a primary duty for that job. Um, a lot of our skills, I think, overlap with what people consider OSINT. Right. There's a lot of OSINT skills involved in like that initial CTI research. Um, you know, whether you're in the DOD or out in the commercial space, a lot of those same skills are going to apply. But like if you're someone who's really good at research, like you have your English degree or whatever, or your library sciences degree and you love research, but you like cyber security, this could be a field you excel in because we absolutely need people who love answering the latest RFI from the CEO or board of directors about this thing that we've never heard of that we're not tracking because it's not relevant, but we need an answer in 45 minutes. You um, made me think of another one, though, that kills me. The big misconception is, is the timing. Timing in cyber is huge, right? Like when Ukraine broke and, and Russia started crossing the border, like the first day people were like, oh, what happened to cyber? I thought cyber was going to be a big component. Well, first off, most reports are reporting about activity that are months old, right? When you read like a true APT report, like the full, like here's a whole campaign, that crap's usually about a year ago, right? Like six months <laughs> to a year ago. We, we talk about dwell times. We talk about all that. And so people are like want real-time threat intel about what's going on in the ground in Ukraine. Like you're going to have to wait a couple of weeks. <laughs> Settle down, right? Can 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 I and, and I'm gonna hop on the soapbox real quick. People demand information so much now that they forget that some of it is none of their business. And, and I'm not and I'm not saying it to be rude, but we all come from a military background we all dealt with intelligence in in certain aspects. Some of the stuff is legitimately none of your business and it should not be publicized. It should not be on social media and it should not be on the news. But, and then one of the misconceptions that, that we get on the offensive side is that we're all like in hoodies, which 
a lot, which they're very comfortable. But um, we're all in hoodies, brooding somewhere like, you know, Mr. Robot, again, love the show. Um, and that, you know, we're thinking of ways to hack banks or our, or people's social media accounts. Um, one day, I promise I'm going to like just show my inbox of direct messages from Instagram of, hey, can you can you hack into this account or I lost access to this account? And it's like, no, that, that we're not all worried about what your girlfriend's doing or your boyfriend's doing. And no, that means you made it as a I'm, hacker though. Right. When you start yeah, getting those, like, you've, you've made and, it and, as a hacker. And, yeah. No, I'm not, I'm not going to hack into a bank and clear your, 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 your student loans or your debt, but with the advancement of attacks and threat actors and everything, how, how are you keeping up with that? I mean, I know it's a, I know it's, it's stressful to try to figure out what information is more important and what the executives want to know versus what's really important. But how are you staying on top of it and staying ahead? So for me, it, it's definitely Twitter um, is, is the primary source. Like I said, I'm also a member of a couple of different Slack channels that are quite helpful. Um, you know, there's a handful of folks to, to follow. I think on Twitter that will that really good at, you know, either raising the alarm or, or lowering the alarm. And that's something to hit on. A big part of CTI that's missed is our ability to tell the boss when it's not important, right? And so a lot of the times we'll see something, you know, and I say if it hits, you know, big news, that's something that we should write a quick blurb on and get up to management. If it's something my dad would see on TV, I don't care that if we don't think it's a threat, we should tell the boss why we don't think it's a threat. Um, and I don't think CTI does that enough. We can't be the ones running in with our hair on fire every damn time. They're going to stop listening to us. We got to tell them when it's when it's okay to chill too. Um, but so I, you know, following certain folks. Um, obviously, you know, Katie Nichols, um, you know, John Holquest. Uh, I feel bad. I'm not going to name a bunch of them, but there, there's quite a few accounts that they do a really good job. Uh, you know, Rob Lee. Um, all of the Rob Lees. There's like nine of them on Twitter that are all pretty smart, but uh, <laughs> John, specifically Rob. Slowick. Uh, yeah, th- th- they'll do a really good job of uh, kind of distilling, you know, the reporting and, and calling out like, okay, yeah, we hear this, right? Uh, you know, one of my favorite things is when uh, a report drops on a Friday, Katie seems to be like the first one that'll be like, okay, guys, this one can wait till Monday, right? That's that's really important um, kind of quick analysis, right? Um, but yeah, so I, I definitely think Twitter and, and being able to bounce it off of each other, either in Slack channels or, or on Twitter, there's a lot of things that will break, you know, several days, like I said, you know, half joking but literally I've, I've gone into briefings that you know and like hey this critical vulnerabilities come out these actors are going after it blah 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 blah, and they're like oh who reported it was was it nsa i'm like no I'm like oh fbi I'm like no like where'd you get it and they just assume i got it from you know classified sources i'm like have you heard of gossy the dog on twitter because he broke it like two days ago like you know what i mean like um but it really is often a really good source uh florian roth you know one of my favorite things if people come out new malware and like Oh my God, look how sophisticated it is. And Florian would be like, yeah, these three Sigma signatures would have already detected it, but I wrote another one too, uh, to add to it. Right. No. Yeah. I agree with everything you all have said. I think it's really important to have multiple sources of information, right? It's sort of like that OSINT part of this, like, like what slacks are you and what discords are you? And there's, there's closed networks that you can join, right. With varying degrees of sensitivity. I like personally joined InfraGuard in Maryland so I can get like TLP stuff, like to my Gmail, like I have to log in, but like there, there's so many places an individual person can go to get information. You have to be on Twitter. Even if it's a sock puppet account, you have to be on Twitter and follow these these accounts, right? There's both CTI accounts, and then you alluded to like the malware accounts that come out with the malware analysis, like VX Underground, it comes to mind as well. And then don't be afraid to ask questions either. I mean, everybody in this space who's in the sharing communities is open to trying to help you if you have questions as well. So cultivate the sources of where you can get additional information and context so that you can also answer questions either proactively, right? Like Andy said that, you know, you're going to get because, you know, it's log for shell. What is going on with this? Like, we're going to have questions, right? It's obvious you're going to have questions about this. The the Ukrainian situation, you're going to have questions about this, even if it's really irrelevant to the company, somebody's going to want to know something around that situation. No, absolutely. Um, and just why would you need a sock account on Twitter? Twitter is such a happy place. No, no it's not. <laughs> oh, man. We love you, Twitter. Not really. No, we do. Sorry. It, 
you're okay. So, <laughs> um, but it's funny that you mentioned some of the accounts that you follow and the fact that it's like such a tight knit community because you're not the first person who's actually said that. I think Leslie Carhartt's mentioned it. And, and also uh, you talked about Katie Nichols. Katie also said it as well. It's like, there's a community within the community for, for threat intelligence and, and NCTI and everything. But, um, but it also makes me think of something that a previous guest, Eric Villardo mentioned that it's great that it's such a tight knit community, but it also shows that it's a very small number as opposed to so many other jobs in, in cybersecurity. And I guess this is going to bring it back to the, to the training thing. We talked about having, you know, in-house training and incentivizing trainings there, but um, how do we get people to look at you know, CTI and threat intelligence and where can they get affordable trainings? Cause like, like John mentioned, you know, there's the sand stuff, which I don't think anyone's going to have that money just starting out. Where can they get these trainings? Where are there any type of, um, you know, vulnerable machines? So like with pen testing, you know, we have try hack me and, and hack the box and phone hub where we can download different machines, put it in a, in a, in a lab, and just hack away at it until we understand it, or we can read blogs on different things we can do with hacking and that we can do while we're hacking in these labs. Or are there affordable trainings that we can bring people to, to say, hey, if you're interested in, in blue teaming or, or DFIR or CTI, have a look at this stuff over here and, and you know build a lab of your own. Yeah, I would have to say, I'm not going to even try to pronounce Joe Slowick's uh, company. He's got an LLC. He does training. One of the other you know, good sources, like Try Hack Me and stuff like that is actually really good. They got, not only do they have blue team stuff, but one of, you know, especially as a red teamer, right? Say what you want about CEH. I don't care if you get the cert or not, but for CTI, it's one of my favorite things to put people through because it, it really shows them the technical side of things. Uh, the, you know, really lays out the kill chain really well, right? Which is really important on the CTI side is understanding how the hackers do what they do, right? So I, I definitely think there's just a lot of general overlap in InfoSec um, training that, that works for different disciplines. Uh, I am been working on this, I promised it like a month ago, a, a blog of what I normally give out to mentor uh, mentees as I, I mentor them to get into CTI, trying to write it up in, into a blog. Um, hopefully I'll get that out sometime this month. But yeah, I mean, I do my, my CTI 101 workshop at B-Sides, Nova. I try to expand it out to a couple other B-Sides. It's been really busy to do it. I like to tell CTI analysts they should go into like Cyberary and do every one of the 101 courses that are free, right? Um, literally from every topic, right? If it's a 101, a CTI analyst should knock it out, at least run it in the background passively and listen to it uh, because we have to know so much about or so little or a little bit about so much, right? Uh, Chris Sanders, obviously amazing training as well. He's got the, the one on the cuckoo's egg that is, uh, I think, really awesome. You know, if you haven't read that book, it's it's a, one of the original APT reports, right? So, and Chris Sanders does a really good job of breaking down that book, and he's got some uh, really good trainings up as well. John, am I, what am I missing? I, I know there's some more. Well, I mean, and also like when someone reaches out to me on Twitter or something, like I have a whole email of like all the stuff and it starts like at the top with Katie Nichols blog. Like she has two entries about what you need to know. I recently put together like my own PDF of like, these are all like, it covers sticks and Yara and like some free miter attack stuff because there's so much to potentially cover. You can get a free SANS account and log in and watch all of their training and then all of the SANS Cyber Threat Intelligence Summits are on YouTube. So you can watch all of the previous SANS intelligence stuff as well. MITRE ATTACKCON is coming up. Um, so there might be some really valuable stuff that comes out of that. Um, but if you're new and you want to look at, like break in, you know, reach out to some of us who are in the CTI field because we'll, we can share some stuff which on Twitter or send you an email because outside of a few of the things Andy's already pointed out, there's not a lot of like really structured holistic training for someone to go take. Um, so, I mean, I could send you the PDF I put together. You could start with Katie Nichols blog, right? Try to attend some of this lower cost training or, or pay what you can training that, that pops up. There's like Wireshark labs you can download, right? Like sometimes that's a core set depending on your role at that agency. So you can like make sure you understand packet analysis and download the Wireshark labs. In, in offensive security or pen testing, um, there's a moment that we all love 
and it's like when we pop that shell or we gain admin or uh, root privileges on a system and we completely own it. I know I've talked to a couple people um, on on the defense side about what it, what it's like to them, but uh, if you guys can share a story, um, you know, not too long, of a time where you were able to put all the pieces together and what that felt like. Yeah, I'll say, um, you know, threat hunting is this really cool thing where you know you it it, it's, it reminds me a lot of like the red team side of things, right? Where you try and you try and you try and you finally succeed and you're like, hell yeah, I succeeded. And then you realize you found badness and it's a bad day for like the IR team and you shouldn't be as excited as you are. You know, I got on a call one time. And we, we, like I said, we, we found um, a different hunt and I found an administrator was, he was trying to move laterally to another part of it, uh, part of the network with, we had multiple sets of credentials for different parts of the sensitivity, right? Of the network. And um, he was trying to run a script and it looked like, uh, you know, malware trying to run, move laterally. And so, like, they had a bridge call, and we had the incident response team. We had the cybersecurity operations director on the call. And this poor, you know, junior sysadmins on and call in his management. And it's getting really, really contentious. And it's, like, 15 minutes into the call. And finally, thankfully, my manager was like, wait, Andy found it. Andy, what were your questions? And I was like, I just need to know, was that you doing it or was it a bad guy? And he's like, oh, that was me. I was having a problem with my other account. And I was like, cool. And like the, the temperature immediately dropped, but it was getting contentious. And I was like, I didn't mean to get this guy screwed. Like, I just <laughs> want to make sure it's not an APT. Um, so yeah, it's, you, you have to handle the comms, right? You have to handle the situation. You have to handle the finding, like I said, because it, it could be an insider threat perspective. Yeah, it's, uh, it, can, it can get real hot. <laughs> that, that ties into like one of my earliest technical memories uh, of us trying to ascertain with with the data that was visible to us, is this an adversary or is this the the account owner conducting right that movement right right because it shouldn't like if that if that's actually their account one it's also outside of normal working hours so like that starts to be an indicator but you don't know is it an insider threat or like if they're system administrators they often are working outside normal hours so like can we can we call bill and like ask him but then like if you talk to them and they're an insider right it gets really complicated and then like do you have the right authorities and this ties back into like working in the dod a little bit right because you know is this a counterintelligence problem now is it an insider threat problem right you you cannot ascertain intention with visible artifacts on the network like we we don't know so yeah, that coordination amongst different teams who might be involved, right? Do you have an insider response team? Do you have a, an insider threat team? Are they different functionalities? Like how soon, like, do you have to get HR or lawyers involved if you're, if you're a corporate entity, right? You're a commercial business, right? Because if it is an insider threat, that's a whole different issue. And then hopefully you have a playbook on how you're going to deal with that, both from a technical perspective and then all the non-technical perspective, like HR, you know, legal things as well. And that's an aspect of CTL we probably don't talk about as much either, right? Because like, I mean, on one hand, it's not an advanced persistent threat. I don't know if that's better or worse. Like it might be even more complicated if it's an insider who has, you know, root level access to the system already because we don't know what the intentions are. Or is that person, you know, just, you know, it's their account, but it's not them actually doing it. And how do you want to try to ascertain that it it can be really complicated really quickly in that scenario i was involved in in one particular case where uh, i don't know that it was ever really determined it was very complicated yeah i think one of the things that that threat hunting teams need to do early in their in their program is red teams do it really well you, you build a, a, a deconfliction you know chain of command right the, the SOC will call the red team lead or the red team will report you know which systems they're they're testing on a certain day that kind of a thing we don't do that with it very often in most organizations but yeah i shouldn't reach out to john if i see his account doing something stupid i should know that it, and his manager should know that i'm going to reach out to the manager it you know sysadmins they should know hey if i get called in after hours or, or i get an alert after hours i need to immediately noti notify my supervisor because i shouldn't we end up often from a SOC perspective or a hunter perspective going to the individual and like, John, were you doing that badness? You're like, no, right? We really should be, we should have an escalation chain and not just up our escalation chain. Like I shouldn't have to call the director of security 
before calling the IT boss, right? We need to establish those communications early. Uh, one, one, so that they just know what the phone call is. Like, I'm not trying to get anybody in trouble. I'm trying to deconflict and make sure it's not a bad guy. Did you download Mimic Hats by mistake or not? We right. kind of need to know. Right. <laughs> when you get a lot true, of IT admins, stories. right? What advice would you give to any new or upcoming threat hunters? It's okay not to know stuff. Uh, you know, it, it, it's infosec is it, it, for any career field in infosec. It's very overwhelming. Um, be realistic in what you can learn in a, in in a regular period of time. Don't burn yourself out trying to learn it all. Just be realistic. Set yourself up a training program, and, and just focus on on specific objectives. You can't be in try hack me and you know this CTF and that site and in a, in a Udemy course and in, pick a training path. Right, I, I have a blog out and a talk out from a couple different conferences on how to build training paths. Um, find a training path and stick to it, and just it, it'll help you from being overwhelmed. There's a lot to learn. Don't be afraid to ask noob questions or stupid questions. Um, you know, we're all trying to figure this crap out together. Yeah. So in addition to that, try to find a mentor. I always try to tell people you can definitely have a mentor where you work. And it's also helpful sometimes to have a mentor outside of, of where you work just for some different perspectives. But there's plenty of CTI people in the community who are probably willing to help you. And then find your community involvement, right? Like if it's B-sides, if it's like a, a vet sec, if you're a veteran, they have a lot of stuff, you know, is it WESIS, right? There's so many organizations that will have technical and non-technical help for you, regardless of which specific specialization you're in, right? And CTI can cover a lot of different things, like Andy already said. So like, if you suddenly need to know cloud, where are you going to go? Or you have a question about this EDR you you have no experience with. Um, so trying to build up some mentorship and connections in the community will help you across your whole career. Absolutely, 100% agree. Um, like I said, I, I started out my career with with no mentor. I couldn't find one. And I often kick myself and wonder how how much further I would have went had I had I not been so stubborn. Um, <laughs> but you know that that's that's the story for another day. Andy, John, thank you for thank you for joining. Thank you for sharing your experiences about threat hunting. Thank you to everybody watching and listening uh, to Hacker Valley Blue. Hope you go check out the previous episodes with the previous guests. Uh, I have a lot of cool people going on this season with my team. Again, building my team called the Defenders. And the goal is to get everybody together and just, you know, uh, address all of these cyber threats that we're dealing with. Go check us out on our Discord. Uh, Hacker Valley Media launched Discord where you can talk to me. You could talk to a bunch of the other hosts from all the different shows at Hacker Valley. And uh, some of the guests might even be there, too. So we'll drop the link to the Discord and make sure you tune in there as well. So until next time, stay safe. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Hacker Valley Blue. If you did, please remember to like it, subscribe to the channel, share it with your friends and colleagues and family members, get it all out there, and make sure you tune in for the next episode. Also remember to join our Discord server and you can talk to me and some of the other Hacker Valley family. So make sure you go check us out over there too. 